After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi everyone, this is Raghu, and I'm back with Mind Rolling with an old friend, Danisara, and uh, I'm so happy that you're here because, uh, well, we haven't chatted in a long time. We just caught up a little bit, but uh, everything's okay, we know that. We're, we're hanging in there, right? Yeah, hanging in there. About uh, what it feels like these days. <laughs> yeah, for everybody, you know, it's really uh, quite something. Uh, th- there's so much. I mean, you know, I'm just finding that with all of the, there's so much tension. We've been talking about, we provide uh, on a weekly stuff from Ramdas, not just Ramdas, but Podcast Network, you know, all of our friends, our mutual friends you and I, Jack and Sharon, Joseph, all that, just around, a, a lot around resilience. And um, that's something I do want to discuss while we're uh, chatting today. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of pressure for everybody in in the most fundamental ways. And uh, some tough stuff around, uh, of course, what's going on with the the emergence of people realizing that this racial inequity uh, is way, I I mean, people are finding stuff that they just absolutely had no idea about and and the emotions uh, that everybody's going through on all sides of the equation, uh, including the spiritual side of, uh, because there is feedback uh, to us, for instance, around well, Ramdas was about everyone, all one. Neem Karoli Baba said, all one. So how do we, why are you differentiating? Well, we're differentiating because you haven't grown up with uh, what I was, uh, I had no idea. I never heard this before. But uh, how black children are, and this came to me because of just doing some different podcasts with African-Americans and, and trying to, I mean, I'm from Canada, so it's, I keep saying this as if that's something much better, but <laughs> to some degree it is. Uh, but um, just what a child is told at a certain age about the dangers of walking out the door, the violence, the police harassment, uh, the, the wrongful accusations left and right, the separation into uh, a diminished category of some sort as a human, you know, just the awful, awful stuff. Uh, and I say, you know, Ramdas fought for on behalf of that his entire life. I mean, social action. Yes, he did say we need to really work on ourselves while we are doing what we need to do to create more justice, and so on. and uh, But we are getting pushback about that. And uh, I know and something dear to your heart is the fact that you have been a, a major practitioner for many, many years, and yet uh, you do combine that with real social action. So maybe that's a good starting point for us in relation to so- so-called there's spiritual life and then there's social action somewhere else. 
Well, thank you for that great contexting of our times. Um, because um, in many ways, the systems that we've all been shaped and sort of nurtured on almost like from the womb and generationally um, have been built upon massive amounts of oppression and particularly frontier colonized countries um, like the, the, through all of the Americas, South, um, United States, Canada, um, and then where I've worked for many years, uh, South Africa, Southern Africa, Australia, and so on, um, that these were places that were born in um, you know, the modern culture, they were born in violence and genocide, and these very, very deeply painful stories that were sort of covered over um, with this idealism. You know, America is in a massively idealistic place, the American dream. And I think it's a shock for people to really have that, um, to realize we're actually in an American nightmare. We're in a place where things that were never healed that need to be addressed are, and all of the ancestors, it's like they all come for reckoning, you know, to be acknowledged, to be understood, to, to us, for us for the veils to be, taken even deeper apart. And I don't see this as apart from deep spiritual work. I see that we're in a, in a shamanic process where there's, there has to be a dismembering of the world and the ego structure. I mean, this is, was the way that Ram Das came into um, as a sort of, sort of consciousness astronaut you know he was a psychonaut mm -hmm. you know, out i mean he came from the whole wave of psychedelia and from the openings which was an ancient route really into the shamanic process of shifting into very alternate realities that you don't actually enter those realities without the dismembering of your ego frame you know he he, he co-authored that whole book on that was informed by the tibetan book of the dead the bardo todo mm as a guide for those processes. It was really a shamanic guide of what happens. So he, this profound work that he brought to us was a preparation. And to understand that what's been dismembered now are these systems that we've been shaped in and that are this empire, this colonial empire of the last 500 years has been built on. And you can't just do that through trying to wish for the light. You have to go into the deepest shadows to understand the depth of the wound. And so I do think all of the work that we've done is a preparation for this and to, and to bring us to the place so we understand that there is no real split anymore between the so-called spiritual, the so-called activist, the so-called political, the so-called economic. All of these worlds are now fused in one awareness. You know, and, and, and I see what's really needed underlying all of the systemic issues that we're experiencing now. They're built on a, a falseness, and that falseness in simplicity is a, is a consciousness that is separative. It's a consciousness that's, that built an ego structure and a system structure that is a, dominant, a dominating structure. You know, dominating earth, dominating soul, dominating uh, um, black, indigenous, POC, um, the feminine, you know, there's the domination of the sacred, basically, and the domination of our access to these deep shamanic truths, deep spiritual truths that were lost in, in our Eurocentric cultures as well, way back in time. So I see that, you know, we've lived, we're living in this very divided metaphor and reality. That's, that's infused with a certain violence in it. And we have to see that and navigate that. But we have, to, you know, I, my understanding is that that doesn't diminish the work of um, returning and moving from this undivided consciousness, this deep awareness where everything can be held, you know, the demons and the angels. You know, they're all, I mean, Ramdas talked about that, you know, the shadow and the light are two sides of the same coin, right? Mm -hmm. Ultimately, in some way, there's a service of the shadow to the light, you know, that we, that these frictions and these challenges are waking us up. Mm -hmm. I like that service of the shadow to the light, Tanisara. That's really, really great. Yeah. No, he used to say, 
it's the about the embrace of the 100,000 beautiful visions and the 100,000 um, negative visions, awful, scary, and so on. So, yeah, uh, understanding the idea of embracing, uh, you know, who, uh, do you, uh, uh, Sultram, Lama Sultram, do you know Lama Sultram, uh, who she is? Yeah. Yeah, she does wonderful work around embracing the demons, you know, inviting them over for lunch and a cup of tea rather than pushing them away. And in in this way, I do feel that uh, it's a it's a tough thing, especially around uh, the uh, racial injustice and what's going on there. And it's a tough thing for people, white people, to to grok because they haven't had the direct experience. And I'm not a racist is the common thing. And you know we're all one. And and um, you know, but there are very very prominent, uh, shall we say, hidden hmm. racist attitudes that uh we just aren't even aware of the shadows we are not aware of the shadows exactly exactly we've, we've been living in an idealized state and our spirituality can be very idealized and it is a, a necessary shock to realize how we're all racially conditioned this is conditioning you know and, and that that white supremacy is actually embodied in all peoples, to some degree, whatever color skin you're in, there is a hierarchy of, of in, in, you know, the, the, these systems that we're in through race, uh, gender, class, economics, they embody, they're embodied in us and they shape us. And a lot of it is unconscious conditioning. So, you know, I find the Buddhist reflection on anatta, that, you know, this conditioning isn't your true nature you know, the, the emptiness of these shells of self actually can give you some leverage to look into those conditioned spaces, to see our re internalized racism and to see it systemically. I think one of the difficulties for many people is that they see this, white people, they see this through the lens of their personal experience. I had a hard time growing up. I'm not racist. I, you know, and actually what we're really looking at, we're looking at our internal racism and eternal prejudices because they're there and eternal narratives they're there because we inherited them we were shaped by them but we're actually really looking at it systemically as well how do these systems operate how, how to understand that america is an apartheid system we're living in a plantation mentality you know and that takes a particular education you know you can go look at the movie or the documentary 13th on Netflix to understand how the plantation of the slave just moved into mass incarceration um, and that we're still in that mentality where a black life means nothing on the street you know that with impunity you know what used to be this the, you know the slaveholders could kill the slave well they can still do that you know they can still kill someone of color or an indigenous person or disappear them um, with impunity, it seems. And it's only very recently with this massive uprising after George Floyd that, you know, with white people getting on the streets as well, that there's a real radical shift of consciousness happening, a real deep learning, and it's happening yeah. at speed. And it's quite hopeful, actually, yeah. in a certain way. Yeah. It is yeah. our curriculum. You know, this is our curriculum. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's very much from the first thoughts that I suggested at the beginning of this chat there is no division there is not spiritual life and social action and environmental and economic it is there is only one thing going on and uh particularly uh, i i think i saw something not sure if it was you but the idea of the whole thing with covid and what's gone on with the earth and how sick the earth has become and the immune system of the earth is being radically compromised. Um, dismemberment is going on. And the connection with that and uh, the relation to, uh, to the pandemic, to the virus, is uh, when you really think about it, that's just as staggering as everything. Well, more staggering because of the future 
I mean, this is a place where we live. This is where we have children. This is where they're what they're growing up into. It's 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 obviously very very scary uh, stuff. And but when you look at it from that point of view, the karma. So yeah, in in your view, the collective karma. What are we really talking about here? Related to the what we've done, and related to what's going on in the environment, and related to the immune systems, and ours. Oh, in a certain way, I actually, uh, you know, I do feel this is a message from Spirit of the Earth. You know, Mother Nature. We've transgressed. Um, I mean, a lot of this transmission of these uh, coronatype viruses come directly through the animal kingdom and our transgression into wilderness, into spaces we shouldn't be in, you know, that we've dominated. So I do feel this is a curriculum and another method. I mean, we have these so many multi-layered curriculums. <laughs> we're being inducted. Can we handle it, yeah. So this is her, her you know, this, she, I mean, this, this message stopped us when you think of it. It completely stopped the world. I mean, people are trying to get back um, in a very massive way. I mean, we were leaving, we were in South Africa when all of the shutdowns started to happen. So we had to be repatriated. So we traveled through about seven airports and we, we drove on the freeway down to Durban Airport. The um, US State Department got us back because we had you know work here that we needed to attend to. Otherwise, we would have stayed there and just gone on retreat at the hermitage there. So, um, you know, to be on the freeway, to go through airports and see them completely empty with them all, you know, it was, it was almost like my brain couldn't compute the enormity of what's happening. And I think there's a certain way that we're still struggling to understand the depth of this message of stop, of go indoors, of don't come, you know, don't, you just have to. And I think, you know, there's a lot of massive, it's been weaponized and politicized, but underneath all of that, I actually think there's a benevolence to Mother Nature. It's like she, there's a chance in this, saying this is a moment to reevaluate everything. You know, I've given you a moment to stop so you can re-radically look at everything that you've been engaged in and how you're doing it and change, you know, and, and make amends. And, you know, so I think this should, it's not because of the way, again, that we're so built into this, mechanistic world of you know just keep going and keep consuming and keep going out there but actually it, it should be a deeply prayerful moment a deeply a place of sort of deep uh, atonement for what we've done to mother earth to what what we've what we've you know that 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 we're killing so many species i mean as as, as humans we've we've de we've demolished the seas you know that we've our actions with animal king, with animal relatives, has decimated them uh, and their habitats. You know, so look at the koala bears when Australia was burning, and look how the politics uh, responded to that. You know, so I think there's this there's this moment that we're in that is a, a, a deep moment, except humanity doesn't really know how to, to take that moment. You know, the culture doesn't really know how to return inwardly in this prayerful way uh, to really look deeply. And, you know, it's just in this massive reaction to being stopped. Um, and, of course, now there's huge consequences to our ability because we haven't got the message um, here in America. And so, the, the, you know, we have a pandemic out of control. Um, and now it's been highly politicized and used as, as a weapon to divide. So it's an incredibly dangerous moment now. How, how, and how this is being used. Yeah. Um, it's very yeah. difficult now. Uh, I don't know how many times I've said this on however many podcasts, but I found this beautiful uh, phrase that the Chinese have used forever uh, around chaotic situations. And they it's translated in Chinese to dangerous opportunity. Right. Well, I think also for me, when I, in my process around this, it, it goes back to what I was just saying about moving through all those airports at the moment where they were completely shut down and like realizing I almost don't have a memory because my brain couldn't compute what I was actually seeing. It was so apocalyptic in that moment. 
And I realized my brain continues to struggle to meet and and sort of process what's happening because the old patternings are old patternings and they belong to a world that's not this world now. And so I'm being, you know, I'm being forced into a very different part of my consciousness. It's like if I want to navigate these very stormy seas we're in, it can't come from old patternings of the brain. It has to come from, you know, uh, liminal consciousness. It has to come from inner guidance, from the intuitive. I, I'm actually, and the practices I'm doing are leaning much more into connecting with a sort of opening into a liminal space and intuitive guidance. And that feels to me the only real way I can navigate this time, you know, and these things change. I have to be much more agile, fluid, nimble. Um, I have to be willing to die every day to meet what's coming now. I don't know what the future is, and that's a reality rather than sort of the plan. You know, it's, it's hard to plan things. It's hard to hold things in the whole old way. And I think that's part of the learning is the learning is we're being in is that shamanic thing. At a certain point, when you have you go through the ego death, you have to go into a whole other place. Yeah. In your being and 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 in the heart, you know, and that has to be your guide. Yeah. So that this is the, the the moment of opportunity in this chaos. That yeah. In. Yeah. Talk. About, let's talk about liminal. I mean, it's not a um, that common a word. It's actually something I, a friend of mine were talking about when we we were talking about the bardos, yes. actually, and that's the relationship that I understand. And um, but yeah, what's your definition of liminal it's um it's the portal of the, it's a transitional space it's a portal it's like a doorway um into um your deeper awareness really i say deeper it's not really deeper it's more imminent your the imminence of awareness as mm. a living as a living intelligence and it's a different experience it's much more formless and lucid um, than the cognitive frame usually you see we're conditioned to run everything through our cognitive brain the rational cognitive brain and i just don't think that's a really great medium for us to be navigating it's not i mean i run i i experience um i do a lot of deep breath practice um that um, that more quickly opens me into that space the meditative practices the ceremonial practices but I also run everything through the rational brain just to, but I don't necessarily give the rational brain, you know, it doesn't have dominance in the way yeah, that it does. You know, it's have to come off its throne. So I say that the liminal space is really like a quantum consciousness. It has everything there. Everything is there. Everything is available to us, past, present, future, ancestors, um, knowledge, understanding, intuition, intelligence. Um, everything is, even the, our demons, you know, um, can be there and can be understood and, and, and placed in relationship to this larger evolutionary impulse. So it's very, it's, it's feels personal, but it's very transpersonal as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I also relate with it around the, the idea of mystery mm. Mm. and just warming up to that it's okay uh, it's okay it's it's like when you are going to go into those bardos when you leave this body uh, there has to be some real trust mm. and uh, the, the mystery is real but so is the reality of our uh, as you've been talking about curriculums mm. and those curriculums will continue this is uh, certainly a part of uh, breathing in and breathing out. And so I like to th talk to people and suggest uh, the mystery is okay. So that portal holds that mystery. Totally. As, uh, right? could. And, and, and I think this is a death. I think we're in a bardo, yeah. particular, you know, a collective bardo. That's why it feels so weird, you know. The, the the world that we were in, the sure world, the empire that, that we built is collapsing. And it's getting very toxic. It's releasing all these toxins, you know, all of these 
wounds that need to be of the soul, the deep soul, our deep collective soul that have to be addressed and healed and reparations have to be made. But within that, there is the fundamental nature of our human experience is a mystery. I mean, we don't know anything really in terms of the real <laughs> reality. You know, we can only tap a tiny piece of the edge of it, you know, really. So well, this is a beautiful yeah. way of understanding it. Yeah. I was just talking to someone the other day just about this exact thing. We don't have any idea of reality, all the different planes that are available, and even to the point of beings that are completely different from us living in other zones in this universe. Uh, but that not necessarily reality. And I said that the the it's because as long as we're projecting from a place of me meanness then that's very difficult and i said the only time i ever experienced what i would term reality is with neem karoli baba because there just wasn't a subject object thing going on and uh i understood the the reality of which is as sharon said a lot of people think this word is is weak it's called love <laughs> in this case unconditional uh, but the the reality of uh, love that was profound that that uh, was basically based on the bodhisattva vow of of doing for others period and uh, so I we have that available to us mm -hmm. on a day to day moment to moment basis and uh, again that has to be part of this whole conversation as well. Where I get stuck, Tanitha, is just, and we just take the, the, the case that I brought up in terms of racial justice, but we can take it, a, a, the reality of what's going on in our environment and how we have are contributing, all of us, in a moment-to-moment -moment basis. Even though we agree that we need to do something, even that level of it, and uh, we agree that ra racial justice needs to take place. Uh, I mean, we may be a little bit concerned about looking at our own shadows around this, which is why education is a great thing uh, around this. Uh, I'm really so uh, profoundly uh, lucky, I feel, to be talking to people like, I think you know, you might know who Conda Mason is, for instance. And uh, it's been um, just a, an absolutely, I'm taking advantage of what's going on. I feel like, wow, you know, this is stuff that I have not addressed uh, before. So, uh, but then I guess part of the stuckness that I have is a little bit of despondence around the fact that there are, if you take the, of course, the polarization in this country, half the people don't really think there is a, such a thing as climate um, mm. issues. Uh, there isn't such a thing. Uh, well, I'm not a racist. So the, the kind of denial that comes uh, with, um, I guess, just education issues mm. or um, causes and conditions of growing up in a certain frame. Yeah. You know, if it's in the South, I have friends who grew up in the South and, and what they tell me about their upbringing and the natural uh, racism that occurred on a day-to-day -day basis in their family that they now can look back on. These kinds of causes and conditions make it very difficult uh, for a, even a conversation to happen. You know, I don't know. Do you have any experience in your own life of, of meeting with people and being able to to be present? Without... Oh, yeah. Very, very immediate. <laughs> yeah? Of course, yeah. Um, I mean, firstly, we lived through 10 years of denial, AIDS denialism in South Africa. Oh, right, right, of course. We were doing the projects there from government level, you know, 
Um, but more personally, in my um, very close to me, people that are conspiracy theorists that um, feel um, that that goes in any which way, you know, um, climate change is a big hoax and also, and, you know, and they're very complex relationships. Um, it's not so easy just to go, well, I just, you know, won't speak to you because you don't have the same view on this. Mm-hmm. That's um, the easy way out. Yep. And, you know, I, I, you know, just the span of what you just said from the, the enormous grace of the um, Maharaji's love. Um, and yet he also was fierce, you know, like um, Jao, you know, like, <laughs> no. you know, so this, this um, fierce compassion in this, this whole um, arena of both um, bringing that love uh, into our own experience. And for me, it's a practice. Love isn't just, I mean, when it's at the consciousness of Maharaji, that's just a whole nother plane. Yeah. You know, we, we are, we are pra- we're sort of like babies. We're like, you know, this is a practice. And for me, the practice in the face of what, it's not just ignorance and educational. Some of this is wanton, um, deliberate um, denial. You know, it's also very it's not, you know, you can give some slack to ignorance or you've got wrong education, but some of it is you being used as a, a weapon for political control and so on. And the continuing of the oppression, um, a racial oppression and the oppression of Mother Nature. You know, so th- there is this re- refusal almost to wake up, <laughs> um, refusal to really get the messages because the messages are there. So for me, I think if we, I think there's two pieces inwardly, the practice of metta, um, a, a loving kindness, which isn't, which isn't the sort of pure essential nature of all things, which I do believe is the love you experienced of um, them Kauri Baba, Maharaj, you know, but it is the practice of refusing to harbor hatred, refusing to hold divisive consciousness in your own heart, even though that that appears. And that's a very tough practice right now when there's, there's you know, a daily assault on truth, daily assault on a daily gaslighting project going on that has real consequences. But I don't think that doesn't mean that we can't develop skill in response, that we can't actually challenge, that we can't find ways of challenging that can be soft, that can be hard, that can be sometimes putting a strong boundary, um, or ways of calling things out and naming things. And I, I think this does is a learning. You know, we don't all come into this very easily, and there's ways and, pow- and powerful ways of doing that. But for me, when that happens without, without sort of shaming, without blaming, without um, the hatred energy, that doesn't mean to say that, it, that the anger and the rage that we can feel, that I feel, can't transmute and be distilled into strength and clarity. But there's ways of, you know, when that, when, when that is expressed or when we receive a challenge ourselves, when it comes from a place of strength and love, it's incredibly powerful. You know, I think again of, of, of Mr. Mandela and how he went through 27 years of incarceration and that was a, turned it into university and came out of that experience um, in a, realizing that if he continued with the hatred, it was like drinking poison, hoping it would kill his enemies. And for a moment on the world stage, he held a consciousness and in South Africa that just lifted everyone. It didn't mean that the work was finished. You know, that work still continues. It doesn't mean that there's not a huge amount of problems. Um, but this is the this is the potential we have at humans to hold that level of consciousness that can be can name things that can you know um, fight. We're in a war, you know. We're in a war, actually. You know, there's no two ways about it. It's a war for the earth. Who controls it? Who's the dominant? What's the dominator theme? So we have to that warrior energy has to engage. I mean. I mean, again, I'm sort of just now with the Bhagavad Gita and going back to Ramdas, you know, and Arjuna and Krishna, you know, that that, that 
there's a certain dutifulness. But, you know, it's a war that we can engage. We can't afford to have hatred. I I spent some time at Standing Rock, um, which was a very profound um, initiation for me in a a community that had been the indigenous community that's, you know, 500 years of resistance. And here they had the they had all gathered at this particular place to continue, but they were doing that. They were doing resistance as prayer, resistance as ceremony. It was rooted in these, like every morning, and it was, you know, physical as well. It wasn't just a notion. It was like you get up early, you stand, you know, for hours, actually in the freezing cold, North Dakota in winter, and, you know, while a ceremony is performed, an offering to the spirits of the river. You know, and and in that process together, there's a transmutation of all of the energies in that space, including the on the hills, the um, militarized police that were, you know, droning and that were sending lights at night that were, you know, threatening, that were tear gassing in the middle of all of that. And in the middle of all of the um, education about how to link together, how to go on the front line and so on, how to protect people of color if you're white. Um, there was this prayerfulness, you know. So for me, that and we don't know whether the what way that the outcome, you know, whether it all goes down and we go down with it. <laughs> there is no. That's not for us to know. We just have to lean into our bit. Yeah. You know, with the energy and keep that. So our practice, our internal practice, we, we sort of, you know, we need to try to keep clear around that, whatever we feel, whatever we experience. Mm. That, that grace, that gift that you experience, and it's incredible grace to experience that transmission of love. Um, you know, that's, that is um, something we need to remember. To yeah. Stay with, this is possible. This is reality. Yeah. This is the truth, actually, not division. Yeah, yeah. and and certainly in, in ter- certainly in terms of what we were, what I was just talking about, thinking of those amongst us that uh, climate change is not real, and all of this conspiracy, even down to the COVID stuff, and and how I might react, and. Um, I go back to, okay, I've got to show up. I can't be thinking about whatever projections I might have about people who are not in agreement. I need to show up. I need to first show up inside my own practice, and I need to bring what I do, what I have been given. And uh, the unconditionality is what I have been given. And that's, that's a big curriculum, big, big, big curriculum. And I, uh, but it is what it is. And I understand, you know, we all understand the way that we judge ourselves, the the way we put ourselves down with thoughts and, and the way we see our motivations or don't see them that are completely self-interest, self-cherishing, my favorite word, Buddhist uh, term, (laughs) self-cherishing. And uh, yeah, showing up is, is a big deal. And I think it's the only way for us to be able to start to uh, cross that divide that is so pernicious right now. And and we need to look to Martin Luther King, for instance, right? In terms of what he called uh, our beloved community of man and having the respect that he would show, he and the Dalai Lama, right? The respect that they show towards their oppressors, the, the, the love that they display, the compassion. Um, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's an extraordinary thing. I, you know, I do think of uh, His Holiness, uh, the Dalai Lama's birthday was just recently, 85, I believe he is. And oh, yeah, he's age five, yeah, yeah. And he he talks about, I mean, there was a thing. What did he say? Oh, for my birthday, you could do, I don't know, a thousand, ten thousand, I can't remember. Uh, and uh, 
And I thought, yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. He said, then I might live till 110, he said. And I'm thinking, please, please, please. I mean, we need these people who can actually love their enemies. And there's not many of them. And certainly amongst the the Buddhists and the Tibetan Buddhists. I mean, you had uh, uh, Ajahn Chah, right? As, as as somebody who was transmitting this to you, I don't. Was it? Did you meet him in the body? I can't remember. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I knew him, um, came to the UK in nineteen seventy-seven, and then I went to Thailand um, to track him down. Yeah, his <laughs> presence was very. What I experienced in his presence was a sense of freedom. He was really um, not phased, and he was very. He was very loving in the way that he was interested in it. He would move out. He was also extremely challenging, but there was a sense of, I don't need to please anyone. You know, there was a a real authentic, where he's sort of stabbing the heart, as you would say, like really being very real. And, um, but this, this experience of freedom, I think that's, that inspired me to completely change my life, to be a nun for 12 years, you know, inspired me still to this day. You know, he would say, um, your practice is preparation for when it's difficult, which is now, you know, we practice for this. We practice yeah. for, you know, the the um, the apocalypse. For <laughs> 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 the unveiling of the difficult, you know, we this is this is what we practice for. And, and I, you know, we practice to die. You know, so we, we, we know where the heart is. We know how to, all of the people that have showed us this path, you know, who you've mentioned, these great um, elders. You know, and we practice to, as our, one of our teachers in Zimbabwe, Baba Mandaza, so that we become those elders too. You know, that, you know, as he would say, what kind of ancestor are you going to be? What kind of elder are you going to be? So um, these, you know, and we're baby elders, you know, even though we've got gray hair, maybe I'm getting old or, you know, I feel I'm getting old. But, you know, this is, we do, we do the best we can in these times. And, uh, and a, lot, a lot is up to the, a lot is up to, there's so many, I mean, Mother Nature herself is a, is a, has the ace card in all of this. I mean, she's a player, definitely a player. So. Things coming out of the unexpected, like COVID. There's more on track. There's more going to be coming. There's more difficult things. This isn't, this is a long, we're now into it. You know, this is now the world in multiple crisis. So we've, this resilience you started with, this is our, you know, something we have to be, to be in community, to be loving, to trust our heart, to bring our practices to bear. You know, these are all the themes that to be willing to undo our internal racism, to challenge the systems. These are all up for us. Yeah. 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 And and really, well, you talked earlier about shadows and how they can serve coming into the light. And I think that's an important, important uh, uh, reality. And... uh, We've got to look at the patterns that we are in. We've got to look at the habitual patterns, the, the, the tendencies that we have that have been created since, since birth. And yeah. the, we've got to look at our motivations. And we've got to look, as you said, it's a little bit of a war on who is going to... Uh, win the planet, so to speak? Is it the the people who are primary interest is power? Mm. And and money? Ravana energy in the... the, Yeah, um, right. (laughs) But at least Ravana knew he was, you know, he was going to die at the... His whole purpose was to die at the hands of God, at Ram, right? Some of these other demons that are around don't have that other level of consciousness whatsoever. Whatsoever, no. So that's, uh, that can be a problem. Uh, but, uh, but certainly, uh, yeah, to, to me, part of the resilience is the um, willingness to do 
the kind of work that exposes our motivations, our self-interest. It's the kind of work that uh, supports courage. And I think, uh, I don't know, did I ever tell you this story? I probably did, Tanisara, but you'll have to excuse me. As well as the entire mind-rolling audience, they've heard this. I love this story, everybody. And I... uh, Every time I repeat the story, it does something for me. So I hope it does for you. If not, you have to just bear with me. I can't help myself. But uh, this this story comes from Krishnadas. I'll, I'll be real brief with it. But uh, he was with Ninkaroli Baba Maharaji in uh, Mumbai. And Krishnadas was in a hotel. And Maharaji was staying with devotees. But he used to come over to the hotel with uh, one devotee in particular that we knew who spoke English, so there could be a translation. And we're just sitting around, you know, he used to do fun things like keep hitting the bell for the, you know, the waiter to come up, you know. He loved the bell, and the waiter would come up. I, and you no, know, this is no problem. Go downstairs, he'd hit the bell like five, ten times the way it came coming upstairs for Tarshan. This was like a, a fun pastime. In the middle of all that, he looks at Krishnas and he, and he point. you know, how he used to point his finger and go, courage is a very big thing. And the Indian devotee was there, said, well, Maharaji, I mean, this is Guru's great, Bhakti Yoga, Guru's great, Guru Kripa, Guru's grace, right? And what are you doing? What are you, you know? And Maharaji just turned back to Krishnas and went, Courage is a very important thing, uh, which was this. which is re- really so. Of course, Krishna said, "I I have carried that with me my entire life, and whenever anything, any strong negative, whatever is happening in my life, I have that. I have him just going, you know. And now everybody has that because he's told that story, and uh, it's it's sort of the beauty of what he represents." to people like me, which is the combination of bhakti, right, the heart, the devotion of the heart, and the Buddhist discriminating wisdom. And that there is action, even though at the highest level, action and grace, there can't be any separation. We were told by Siddhima that, yeah, you have to act as if that is, that's not something a rational mind can understand. So you act, yeah, and in that acting, it's it's a, it's like a, a platform waiting for the subway to come along. It will come at some point, the grace, but there is acting, and that to me is is a big part of of resilience of not up leveling stuff, but just being present in the way that you can take the kinds of actions that would un- reveal the, as I was saying, you know, the, the habitual patterns and the motivations and the self-interest and so on, so that they're there to be transformed. As you said, shadows are beautiful to realize eventually light. Without, you know, There's no realization of it without that shadow. With no dukkha, there's no awakening. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, and you, your telling of that story, and I'm so glad to hear it. Thank you for that transmission. I just felt this sense of, well, at the end of the day, and everything that you said, of course, is so true, um, around the action and the bhakti and the connection there. There's also this dimension of having to trust the dharma. Mm. You know, the dharma, you, we can't, this is beyond us. We, you know, this is something very deep about you just trust the dharma. And, that courage piece also reminded me of when Ajahn Chah was asked, you know, how did he, he became one of the most, um, you know, revered realizers of, of the Northeast High Forest School, and in and in the and in the you know that transmission went out into the world, and he said, "It's because I dared to do." When he's asked, "How did he?" I dared to do, mm. and I just That's love good. that. I dared to do, you know, mm. and that. I felt I remember that when you said about the courage, you know, to, to have the courage, and I think that's that's I think that's really 
what we're being asked to be. Yes, I think that sounds true. We're being asked to be more courageous, to dare to do. Yeah, yeah show up. Um, and, to tr- and to trust that, you know, if you're riding on an elephant, why worry about the barking of dogs? You know, it's just that we trust our practice. We trust the Dharma. You know, when I think of all of the challenges we had in South Africa and so many things that went down there, and, and that is very violent. Um, and, you know, people were murdered, friends were murdered. They were very difficult things. I had to just trust. When I, I thought I could just freeze in fear in all of this. And I certainly experienced that. It's very primitive fear. I know what that feels like. Um, very, very primitive sense of your life on the line when you're out there. And I, and I had to really just, well, what are you frightened of? You know, violence, death, yes, those can happen. Where are you going to put your mind? I'm going to put my mind in the trust my karma and the trust in my practice of the dharma and that's it you know um and that has to stay and even at this time in america anything could happen i was reflecting this morning i woke up my my heart was in my boots you know with what's happening now mm. with you know, um, people being disappeared in portland i'm mm-hmm. sure you know really heavy stuff that's happening and so you know, anything could happen here what do we trust we trust our practice we trust the dharma we, you know, we, we, you know, stay wise, stay responsive, but, um, you know, we have to find our refuge in the heart. Yeah. I would say we should try, not should, we can trust Sangha yeah. and our community, which uh, our satsang, however, where you want to put it. Beautiful. Yeah. There, that, the, and didn't the Buddha said, say when they asked which of the three refuges were the most important, he said Sangha, not yeah. Buddha, not Dharma. So I, I think that, uh, and that's a lot of, of about what Ramdas has really represented all these years is exactly like sharing and then heart to heart and that trust just goes down the line. And somehow, if I, I, you know, my biggest hope is that we actually can share that not just with people that are naturally having an affinity, but people who, um, there, there's a great, um, do you know who Valerie Carr is? K-A-U-R? Oh, I'm introducing her to you. She's a, a wonderful Sikh, Sikh woman who uh, was brought up in California, has been doing major social justice work is a lawyer work is a lawyer as well as a writer and filmmaker and so on and just wrote this wonderful book no stranger um and she had um an incident where she actually had no choice but to confront some some racist people in a in a uh, coffee shop while she was writing this book which is part memoir and manifesto and uh and she was able to just be in her heart in the moment where there was some connective understanding of of her as a brown woman and uh, with some white uh, guys that uh, were unabashedly racist. And uh, it's a, a wonderful story in her book. Uh, those of you out there, definitely, I mean, I have recommended this thing up and down. Uh, it's just got so many great levels, not uh, not the least of which everything we've been talking about, which is there is no difference between um, internal investigation, spiritual curriculum, and doing the work of social action and environmental action and so on. So um, we're getting close to the end, but, you know, before the end of this... Um, because I was, we've been kind of referencing resilience and and so on, and you also mentioned some work that you've been focusing on around breath earlier in the conversation. I wonder, can you uh, just uh, guide us a little bit in uh, a short meditation uh, uh, using breath? Because I am also very, I I reference that all the time in terms of being able to use that to completely change any moment. Yeah, the, the practice I do, and I, I can do a moderated version just now, 
it is a it is a, a deeper like two part breath of it's breathing into the belly the chest and then out through the mouth through the through um with music as well so it really mm. trans transforms and regulates your energy system quite quickly and opens up that liminal space we were talking about but i think the main thing is bringing more oxygen into your body however you do that and bringing it into the brain especially and so i you know if we if we do now I, what I would recommend is we just empty our lungs and we breathe out. And then either through your nostrils or through your mouth, you just take a deeper breath into the belly, in the pelvic area, and up through the middle of the body, into the throat, and into the head and the brain. So you can't breathe in anymore and hold that breath for a moment. You feel the breath energy suffusing through the body and then as you breathe out breathing slowly out through the nostrils and just releasing the tensions through the body softening the body so let's just do three deep breaths like that either through the nostrils or through the mouth so and as you breathe down in the inhalation you just feel the breath filling and touching all the chakra points all the energy centers of your body So you can't breathe in anymore. You hold for a moment and then exhale. And at the end of the exhalation, you can also hold for a moment and just feel your suffusing awareness through the body. So we'll do it a couple more times. You might already begin to feel it sort of start it's chemically changing the energy of your body. And usually I do it lying down actually, so I can more deeply feel the breath and then feel and be supported by the ground. And you can do do it with the music. This I call like a more yin breath, the deep yin breath. But you can do a more active breath where you pull the breath in more actively through the mouth, through the belly, into the chest, and then breathing out. There are different variations on that. Um, but this, even if you do five or seven minutes, I do every morning, I do maybe actually a long time, but it really helps set you for the day. A few stretches, yoga, some meditation, chanting, <laughs> mantra practice. Mm. All these things are, are quick practices to, to shift. To yeah. Part of these, these state you were saying that slightly heavy uh, feeling that you can get sometimes the overwhelm of it all yeah yeah there's no i mean the breath is so powerful yeah it really is in terms of being able to instantly change around uh negative emotions most particularly i mean my personal thing uh, around anger is is pretty difficult uh, i've had a lot of difficulty i mean many people this is not something that's unique i know that but certainly breath as soon as you can get there it totally changes that moment to moment you know how easy it is to get lost pile on all sorts of other stuff that you don't even remember what the the initial impulse was that allowed you to just get lost in that moment um, but breath can bring you back so yeah thank you thank you tani sada for that and for everything today. So yeah. great to catch up with you. Okay. And uh, everybody, this uh, in our show notes will link up so you can find other um, talks and blogs and books and everything from Tanisara. And uh, uh, we will. Uh, rejoinder shall we say uh, next week on mind rolling go be here go to be here now network.com and and all of tani sara and my friends are there <laughs> jack cornfield and sharon salzberg and joseph goldstein and uh, 
uh, everybody. So and Ramdas, of course. So we will see you then. Thank you again, Tanitara. Thank you, Raghu. Stay well. And you. Well. stay well, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye.